This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. This is episode 573. It's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Alan George, CFO of Ojai Energetics. Alan George was working for J.P. Morgan in New York when the Twin Towers fell in 2001, setting in motion what would become a five-year sabbatical, where George transformed into a Green Beret and a proud member of the U.S. military special forces. In the years ahead, he would land back inside the finance function, serving in multiple business development roles before crossing paths with cannabis entrepreneur Will Clyden. Originally expressing little interest in the space, George listened and learned and subsequently joined Clyden at Ojai Energetics. Our discussion with CFO Alan George begins after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Foundational and fundamental to my finance career, I'd say. The first one was my investment. 
Morgan in New York um, in leverage finance. Um, and the analytical and financial modeling experience that I gained was, was really second to none. And, um, it, it really allows me when I come into a new business to be able to build operating models, identify or even validate key drivers uh, of any business, identify the levers that move the needle. Um, then we can work with the management team, and then I can work with the teams and build plans to pull specific, specific levers to improve performance. Uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, early, uh, earlier in my career, one beverage company uh, based in Southern California, when I joined, uh, the company had fairly strong distribution, strong velocities, relatively low marketing spend, but profitability was, was well below market, uh, what it should have been. Uh, the company did not have great financial reporting in place. Uh, the team just assumed, given the metrics that they knew, that the issue was cost of business too high. Uh, once we cleaned up reporting, uh, we were able to create analytical models uh, around where the spends were. We realized that the issue was not cost, it was actually trade spending. Uh, the company was spending a lot of money on promotional activities and, and discounts to drive the distribution of velocity, but there was no linkage to the ROI of that spend. So once we identified that, we were able to establish ROI models to help those sales and marketing teams better understand the impact of their trade and marketing spends and, and, and had a lot of buy-in from the team that they were able to um, see uh, what the impact of their spends were and we could create guidelines for improving spends. Um, and then the really interesting part was we were then able to take the savings from those trade spends and put them towards other marketing activities that we could test um, ROIs against and that would ultimately help drive demand and then we were able to improve velocities even uh, greater than what uh, they were doing before with less overall spend and improved profitability. And so that was a really um, interesting case uh, that my uh, sort of analytical background uh, enabled me to spearhead. The next milestone for me was when I, uh, I left uh, investment banking and went private equity and private equity investor having to step into portfolio company operating that was really interesting for me because before that it was it was really just numbers on a spreadsheet. Um, I think this moment was really important for me professionally. I was in my mid twenties. Uh, you can probably imagine I'd done my investment banking years. Um, thought that I knew a lot about finance and operations. Uh, moved on to private equity. Um, I was given my first portfolio company. It was a beverage company called Naked Juice, uh, based out in Southern California. I was actually living on the East Coast. And so I was uh, commuting back and forth for about 18 months from New York to L.A. Uh, to work with this company, Naked Juice, uh, to go through a restructuring. Uh, when I first started, I spent, you know, spent a couple weeks building the model to lay out a restructuring plan that I thought made sense. Uh, as I'm taking the president of Naked Juice through my plans, uh, he literally closed my laptop and said, uh, come with me. Uh, we then spent uh, the next two or three days going through manufacturing facilities, meeting with suppliers, literally riding on delivery trucks, talking to retailers. Um, he took me through the entire life cycle of a bottle of naked juice that I had never understood before the world. I had never understood that. We just numbers on spreadsheets. So he gave me a really great understanding about how the business worked in reality. And that's something that I take with me now to every job I ever, uh, I ever uh, have taken, which is understand the process, understand the operations, understand the product, the consumer, all the constituents, the distributors, the suppliers, uh, and that's really the only true way to, to build a business and help grow a business is to um, understand the nuts and bolts of those operations. And uh, any interesting thing about that is the president of Nations at the time, David Tom Hicks, he and I have uh, been very close over the last 20 years. 
by moving his company with IP. So he had built uh, numerous patents uh, covering the cannabis plant, things from uh, water-soluble technology to the antidote to THC intoxication to energy storage using hemp waste to medical and biotech and industrial applications. And I thought that was really unique in the space. Everybody else was out uh, for a land grab. It was basically a cash grab in the market, but he was playing chess when everybody else was playing checkers and decided to build IP around this plant. And not just any IP, but IP that's backed by Wilson Cincini, which is the leading life sciences IP firm globally, um, which made it really powerful and exciting um, for me. So um, after working, doing a bunch of diligence in the background um, for about six months, uh, I ended up joining him. Tom and I ended up actually joining him around the same time in July, August of 2019. Um, and the company today is uh, primarily a direct-to-consumer business selling water-soluble CBDs. Formulations uh, in tincture formats and sports gel formats, topicals. Uh, and the company's been running without any real marketing uh, or optimization. Uh, we've seen a, a bunch of organic growth through strictly word of mouth. We've uh, executed a couple beta affiliate tests and have seen some really significant um, growth in our direct to consumer business. Uh, the other side of it is our ingredient supply division, which uh, what we call powered by, think of. Uh, Intel inside, we call it powered by OI, powered by OE, um, and we supply our water-soluble CBD products to food and beverage companies to use in their um, product offerings. Where um, we've launched with, um, we've launched with a beverage company um, utilizing our CBD uh, as an ingredient. Uh, our water-soluble CBD, CBD is an ingredient of theirs, uh, and we're in development with some of the largest uh, beverage companies in the world, and they're in various stages of R&D. Before they launch uh, their products, and I think the efficacy of our products and the fact that our technology is kind of protected, backed by Wilson Sonsini, is a major advantage. Um, I also see the cannabis market as a race to the bottom, and unless you're spending a lot of money building a brand where you have defensible IP, um, it's going to be a tough go. Interesting. So uh, it's such a formative state at this place in time, I believe. I, what would be the numbers that are so important uh, that you're you know, looking at daily, what are you paying attention to? Sure. Um, you know, for me, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of metrics out there that you can look at, and some of them are very sophisticated metrics. Um, I think, especially for an early-stage company, it's about the basics. Um, so I would, first thing I look at is daily sales. Like, a report that comes out in the middle of the night, I know what we didn't sell yesterday, and then I can look at, um, I can drill down into that and say, okay, well, since I'm looking for a primarily a direct-to-consumer business today, I want to see my traffic conversion in AOZ. I want to see how we're doing relative to our forecast, and I want to see how any specific programs are driving uh, those key metrics. Um, but for us, specifically, traffic is a huge driver. We have really strong conversion in AOZ, so traffic driving awareness, uh, programs have a huge impact for our business. So when we're looking at um, marginal dollars, where we're spending the marginal dollars, the ROI of driving traffic to our site today is really high. Um, so the couple data that we've done to drive traffic has been uh, really, really meaningful for us. Um, I'd say the other thing I look at is repeat purchase rate. I think that is a indicator of the health of your product portfolio and uh, the quality of the product that you're delivering it. Um, I tell everybody it's easy to get that first sale. It's really hard to get that second, and it's almost impossible to get the third. So how do we be the best at that? Um, getting our consumers to buy into what we're doing and continue to purchase. Those are the, those are the major things that we look at today. 
stage this company is and that you uh, really joined the team uh, this last year, mid year, I suppose. Are you satisfied with the forecasting model? As much as you've learned already, are, are there tweaks that you want to make? Is there, you know, as far as the forecasting model goes and how you're doing and how it works? Yeah, no, great question. I'd say um, uh, when I came in, I completely revamped the forecasting model. Um, the team, you know, the team had done a good job with the limited resources that they had, um, you know, to put together a forecast to, uh, to try to stay ahead of, uh, to try to stay ahead of growth, to be able to manage inventory for the cash properly. Um, but when I came in, I definitely tweaked, uh, I definitely t- tweaked the process, and I think the biggest thing was um, instituting a um, direct cash flow model, a weekly direct cash flow model, because obviously as an early stage company, cash is uh, the most important thing. Um, and I think I mentioned, but we're in the middle of a fundraising round, so being able to manage my cash flow on a weekly basis until we get that round closed is critically important. So um, that's something that I do and I look at uh, every day, uh, tweaking the, the forecast based on what, what I'm seeing uh, to be able to make sure I have visibility into what the cash flow is over the next 13 to 26 weeks. Now, is there any uh, non-financial measurement that you're paying close attention to? Uh, is there anything that comes into play here that uh, under the header of a non-financial measurement? Uh, in terms of non-financial metric, uh, I guess this is kind of financial. Um, given the fact that we are a um, that we are an early stage company, and cash flow is so important. Um, I monitor our inventory days on hand um, very closely and um, work with our operations team very closely to make sure that we're not um, overextending ourselves from an inventory perspective. Making sure that um, we are ordering properly and appropriately in advance of. Um, any promotional activity or any affiliate um, activity that we're doing, but that's one that I say um, is quasi-financial, but something that's that, uh, actually uh, critically important to us. Alan, we always like to ask for a finance strategic moment. If it uh, could happen any time in your career, you've had many of these along the way, uh, but we're looking for sort of that, that moment where uh, your lines of sight into the organization via the numbers allows you to see an opportunity or risk, whatever it may have been. Any time during your career, is there one you'd like to share? Yeah, this is a, this is a great, uh, it's a fascinating uh, topic. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, you know, obviously during your career, I think you have a couple of these. The biggest one for me um, came during my time at ELF Cosmetics. Um, it was a middle market cosmetics company based in uh, Oakland, California. It was backed by uh, TPG Growth. Um, and we ended up taking the business public back at the end of 2016. And one of the one of the key things that allowed us to be really successful, our metrics were far superior to most larger, um, our firm was, was much better than most larger uh, cosmetics companies. The thing that allowed us to do that was uh, we were able to make educated bets that could lead to big wins without putting very much capital at risk. And that, this is something that I had done throughout my career, but it never struck me as a real strategy until my time now. Uh, we built a very large business through retailers uh, such as Target, Walmart, CVS. Uh, each year, we would refresh our sets. They're called planograms uh, at these retailers. And so that would mean building a lot of inventory for new items that were going on the set for the first time. And, since this is cosmetics we're talking about, we have hundreds of items on each set uh, at Target, Walmart, and CVS. So um, in a typical consumer product business, what you would do is you would say, okay, here's the 50 new items I want to put on the wall. i got to build 
100,000 units of each of these things to go on the wall, to go into the set at Target and Walmart, and I'm going to cross my fingers, and maybe you did some consumer testing, but I'm really going to cross my fingers and hope that this works, and if it does, great, and if not, I've got a huge inventory issue that I need to fix. Well, so what we did was we utilized the power of our e-commerce site, our direct-to-consumer site, and we would launch new products. We would do minimum product runs anywhere from two to 5,000 units. Um, and then we would launch them on our website with, with a really affordable, digital, targeted advertising to the consumer online and on our site uh, and through our social media uh, channels. And we would, we would identify which were the winners uh, of the 100 new items that we launched over the course of the year with minimum inventory impact. And we could then take that creative set for target that was customized based on their demographic and the demographic that we were looking at uh, based on the products that we were selling. We could customize uh, player brands and bring it to them with high confidence because we had the consumer feedback once we sold it online that anything with a four and a half star rating or higher, we had high confidence was going to be successful at Target, Walmart, and CBS. So we were able to de-risk the inventory um, situation by utilizing our website to gain uh, insight into what our consumers wanted. And that is something that um, I've taken with me. It's, it's actually a methodology that we use here at OHI, which is to only launch new products online before we take them to any uh, retail partners. When we return, CFO Alan George enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're stepping into the mentoring round with CFO Alan George. Alan, what is it today that's exciting you about finance and business? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think the speed at which, um, at which business is moving today, and, and, and I'm sure there's a lot, there are a lot of people that, that say that and identify that, but it, it's a real phenomenon. I mean, um, earlier in my career, you could take weeks, even months, to do analytics before you came to a decision. You can't do that anymore. Um, the speed at which you have to move is really exciting to me. Um, it pushes up. Uh, as an organization to be the best. It pushes us to change and not be stagnant. We don't want to be left behind. Um, that's really difficult to build inside of an organi- organization. Um, to build an organization that can be nimble, can move quickly and adjust on the fly is really difficult. But it, it, it is a lot of fun and it actually is um, quite linked to my military career um, to be able to work in a team that can um, flow through different environments and different situations and, and still be successful. Um, and I think to link it to finance, the finance organization needs to be the center of this change. Um, obviously, we need to make sure that once we're making decisions, we're uh, making them quickly, but with an analytical and a financial understanding. So it wasn't too long ago that you stepped into the role there as CFO. As, as you look back now, is there anything that surprised you 
organizations and departments throughout my career, it's so easy when a sales and a marketing team comes to you with a program, with a new program that they want to do, and it's, it, it's easy to say, no, we've never done it that way before, or no, we don't have the money for that. Um, and that's really demoralizing um, to an organization, especially you know, your folks on the front line, like your sales and marketing teams. And so for me, it's really critically important that I start with yes, at least for myself, and then we do the work to figure out how can we set up a program that allows it to achieve the ROI that we require with an acceptable level of risk. And that we're not always going to get to yes, obviously, but when the organization knows that you're on the business side and you're not just holding, your job isn't to just hold the purse strings, that you're actually on their side and you're fighting to find ways for them to be successful, that you buy in a lot better and it becomes really a really collaborative environment where you're continually working to drive the business forward together as a team versus a sales versus finance um, organization, which uh, actually happens a lot. So one of the qualities that uh, we ask frequently if there's a personal habit or some part of a, a daily routine that you have that you believe is contributed to the profession success. One of the qualities characteristics that financial leaders frequently tell us that this strongly identifies is discipline. I think your, your military career chapter is probably going to support that nicely. Um, any thoughts on what I, I just said? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, discipline is a, is a, is a key, um, is a key component of, of finance and throughout building an organization. We need to be disciplined. I actually, um, I take it a step further and I say discipline is great. To me, the discipline is, um, the status quo, um, or, or the one-on-one, right? You need to have a team that is disciplined that, um, especially on the accounting side, that we're really detail-oriented, we're disciplined, we're doing things the right way. Um, but I actually um, prefer to, instead of sort of micromanaging that discipline, I actually love to give uh, my team a lot of uh, freedom and a lot of independence to operate. Uh, it's something that I learned in my, not in my second banking career, because that was something you were very micromanaged and how you did things. It's something I, I uh, learned in my special forces career, which was teams that actually operate better when um, each person is allowed to broke to do their job really well. And obviously there's repercussions when you don't, but you allow your team to um, develop and build um, by allowing them to um, grow and develop uh, themselves. And then you help them along that path through mentorship, but not sort of micromanaging them. Um, I think it's really important and allowing them to, to, to feel like they have a voice in the organization is really important. What I find interesting is that the people who you supported as a, a member of a special forces team, their backgrounds, you had kind of a variety of people who probably had very different backgrounds, but together you were disciplined. Um, the discipline that you you learned in the military is, is, is one thing, uh, but to your point, supporting teammates um, who come from very different backgrounds, you know, whether they had joined when they were 18 years old right out of high school or whether they were a PhD in economics or whether they were a engineering student or whether they had a farming background. And these are all people who um, came together onto a, a detachment, onto a team to work together for a common goal. And I think the key there, which actually is a corollary to uh, my professional life, is, is what is that common goal? 
highlights much of what we've been talking about as well. Thank you for uh, tonight's selection. Okay, we are up to our final question, which is to ask you to look forward for us, Alan, and share with us what are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Sure, this is obviously uh, really important, and, and I say they, they, um, they change, and this goes to being, uh, being able to be nimble as an organization. Uh, my priorities, my top four or five priorities today um, may not be the, the top five priorities uh, two or three months from now, given the changing landscape. Um, I'd say first and foremost, uh, my priority is getting our fundraising round close. That's key to allowing us to execute against um, our strategic priorities and our strategic pillars. Um, uh, that capital is obviously very important for a couple of reasons. Um, I think next, I'm focused on building out. Um, as, as an early stage company, we have we have some very basic systems in place. Um, as we grow, and uh, we expect our growth to be uh, tremendous uh, this year, uh, I'm focused on building out the analytical and financial capabilities. 
CFO Alan George, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.